Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. Hey guys, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 20 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Zach Shields from ZacharyShields.tv. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? Doing awesome. So Zach is a, an award-winning videographer uh, who's kind of traveled the world and is making a living, going to some of the coolest places I've ever seen. Uh, and where are we now? So, so where am I now? Yeah. So well, we're, we're in Chiang Mai, Thailand right now. I've been here for a couple months. Um, I came here to, to do one small project um, that involved a, um, an adventure company, so a travel adventure company called Holistic Expeditions. And um, I had been shooting footage all around the world, and I shot another project for the, the, same, uh, the same person in Costa Rica. And so I came here to just kind of finish it up and then edit, and then I uh, just ended up staying for a little while. All right, very cool. So uh, basically in today's episode, I wanted to ask you about some of the cool places that you've been, uh, how you got you know, to basically go there for free and even get free North Face gear, to, which is pretty Canada awesome. Goose. Canada Goose. Oh, gear. Canada Goose, sorry. But <laughs> even better than North Face. I think it's more expensive. Um, and, you know, yeah, basically just pick your brain on all that and maybe even ask you at the end um, how expiring videographers can, can get work and get hooked up with things like this. Sure. Um, but first, let's talk about where have you been recently uh, just traveling around Thailand. Oh, recently in Thailand, mostly I've just been uh, staying in Chiang Mai. We, we've gone to to Pai. Um, we um, we traveled to Phuket and Karabi uh, a couple weeks ago. But most of most of that was just traveling for fun, not uh, not really project project related. But um, that's cool that you can you know come out here and base yourself in in Chiang Mai and actually get work done and make these little side trips. Like, how long were you in Pai for? Yeah, for sure. Um, I was in Pai, actually, with my family for, for just a weekend, and then uh, went to Phuket and Karabi for a couple weeks. We ended up staying for a couple weeks. Uh, we weren't really expecting to, but <laughs> that's kind of what happens. All right, so for, for people that don't know, Pai is a little mountain town about four hours north of Chiang Mai. Uh, what did you like about Pai? Um, it was just kind of a, it's kind of a, I think it's known for being like a, a small little hippie town. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, really laid back. You know, it's just, yeah, it's really laid back. Nice, uh, landscape. We went to some waterfalls, went to some hot springs, ate tons of food, went to the markets. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's like Chiang Mai, except maybe a more interesting landscape, smaller and a little bit more homey feel. Yeah. It's definitely right inside of the mountain. It's, you're surrounded by yeah, by mountain, forest, waterfalls. I mean, I think there's like four or five waterfalls surrounding you, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also went piranha fishing there once, too. Oh. Piranha fishing? Yeah. They have, In Pai? Yeah, they have tons of little random things. They have like a... Spear fishing? No, it's a... Uh, so they have a, a lake that they stock, and there's, you know, all these weird... You know, have you ever seen river monsters? Yeah. They have all those weird fish that you can you can fish for. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. And Phuket, I heard you had some nice adventures down there. Uh, yeah, we did. We did. We we really didn't have a plan, and um, and so we we kind of just we took it easy. We we uh, we did a lot of hanging out on the beach, and took some boat trips to go snorkeling to a couple different islands. Coral Island was really nice. Um, we didn't do any of the big trips. We just took you know short, maybe four hour trips to the islands, but um, did a little bit of work in between. You know, you wake up, have a big breakfast. Do maybe a couple hours of work, catch up on emails, and then go and hang out the rest of the day. Yeah, I was doing the exact same thing uh, last week as well, but I was on uh, the, the opposite coast. So Phuket is the west coast of Thailand, right? Uh-huh. Yep. And I was on the east coast. I was on Koh Phangan and Koh Samui. Okay. And it basically doing the same thing, just hanging out. My routine would, would be I'd wake up pretty late, usually around 10 or 11, go have breakfast, bring my laptop there, um, and I would just do a couple hours of work, check some emails, and then spend the rest of the afternoon just laying on the beach and just getting a tan, hanging out. <laughs> it's good. And it, it's, it, it's funny that, I mean, back home, I mean, so where are you from back home? Uh, I'm from Indianapolis. Not originally from Indianapolis, but I've been living in Indianapolis for uh, over 10 years, but I just actually moved from there to come here, and then uh, I'm actually not quite sure where I'm living next. I think I'm going back to New York in March. Okay. That's cool that you have it all up in there, and you have the choice, right? Yeah. Uh, and right now, it's I, I keep forgetting it's winter back home. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. I get news, you know, I get news reports every now and then and see some photos on on Facebook and whatnot, but it doesn't even uh it uh, it doesn't even register with me. But the the scary part is that I'm going to Kazakhstan and uh and the Arctic to Baffin Island <laughs> in Canada immediately after this. So in about in about 2 or 3 weeks I'll be on a plane to Kazakhstan, which is which is the I'm, I'm, I'm going to the <laughs> second I'm going to the second coldest capital city in the world. And then I'm going to Baffin Island in Canada for another project um, that is even further north than that. That is insane, man. I mean, I thought it was crazy that, you know, I, I took a couple hours flights down to some small island for a party. But you're, you know, you're literally going to some of the most remote places in the world that I'm sure most most listeners have never even heard of Baffin Island in the, in the Arctic. Yeah, I hadn't really either until <laughs> I knew I was going. <laughs> so did you bring any winter gear with you? Uh, with me here? Yeah. No, I brought uh, I brought one light down jacket that is not really winter gear, but it, it keeps me. It, it basically does the job when I'm on my scooter rolling around Chiang Mai at night. Yeah. Oh, it, it, you know, we've been complaining how cold it's been in the mornings and at night here, um, but I'm I'm sure you know it's really not that bad comparative to to these other places or no even people back in indiana like i mean how cold is it there right now um i think it's you know it's it's zero degrees somewhere around there i don't know i mean it got down below zero for a while like negative 20 i heard but i don't really know where it is right now so here you know the coldest like in in the mornings or very late at night how cold does it actually get well i told i was i was talking to my uh friends in canada uh, a couple days ago and they were asking me about where i was and what the weather was like and i told them that um, it was so cold in the morning this morning that I had to put a shirt on before I went out on my patio. But I mean, it really is cold. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing a North Face jacket when I, like, mainly because I'm on a scooter to work. I mean, it's only five minutes away, but I, I'm freezing. I'm just like, this is really cold. And I wish I had socks with me so I can, because my feet are cold. But <laughs> it sounds stupid because it's still probably... 40 or no, actually it's probably higher than 40 degrees right now it's probably 85 but yeah yeah um it doesn't get too hot but I, I think cold is relative i think when you feel if you even feel the cold here that means it's cold yeah. but really it's not cold but what's really cool is just going down to the islands it's only a few hours flight it's it's actually not that cheap to fly down there um i think it depends on which island you're flying to but it's usually three to six hundred dollars round trip um, but the nice thing is once you're there it's really cheap and it's an easy flight. I mean, you can fly down and you can take a direct flight for less than two hours and you can be on a warm tropical island. I met scuba diving, um, you know, I just hung out on boats. And I mean, it was, it was nice. I mean, sipping on, you know, sipping on coconuts. And the only reason why I came back is I really like Chiang Mai. I get a lot of work done here and I have a lot of good friends here. And, you know, it's why not, right? Yeah. That's. It seems like a good place to be. I'm not. I feel like I haven't even hardly spent any time here. But um, from what I know, I mean, there's, there's, I, and I didn't really know what to expect when I, when I got here um, from the states. But uh, it seems like a place that you could stay. Um, I, I won't be staying, but, it, but it seems like a place that you could, and you can get a lot of work done and, and be productive. It's not just a, you know, a tourist vacation spot. It's a place to, you know, live and work. It seems like. So when you, when you do work out here, so you're mainly editing videos that you already shot. Um, how hard is it now to, you know, with today's technology to basically be able to do this mobily? Well, yeah, I came out here with about 10 uh, projects that I had shot uh, in the previous months uh, before December when I got out here. And, and so, I, you know, I, I just edit on a, um, on a MacBook and that's pretty much all I need for, for stuff like this. A lot, of, a lot of the projects I'm doing are, are for the web and so it, it doesn't involve really a lot of, uh, collaboration with other people, which could be a problem. I've, I've, I've done a couple projects where I've needed to, to pass files back and forth. And that could be, you know, that's an issue when you're working in, you know, it'd be an issue if I was in another state, you know, in the U S but, um, but it's really, I mean, it's really, if, as long as I have my laptop and my hard drive, I'm, I'm pretty much good to go. It's nice how small USB hard drives are now. Like how, how, how big is that one that's sitting in front of us? Yeah. I mean, I have, I have a two terabyte Thunderbolt drive and that's pretty much all I need. That's insane. Two well, terabytes. As long as I have that, I can I can do all the work, almost all the work that I need I mean, to. Do you remember like ten years ago where you had to physically plug your hard drive into the wall? Well, I have one of those too. Oh yeah, <laughs> actually that's huge. I have a massive one down there. How big is that's that? That's like twenty terabytes. So I brought I brought all my stuff. 
you know how many uh, how many terabytes I have total? One. No, no <laughs> I have 128 gigabytes. 128 gigabytes. <laughs> That's it. And at first, it was that was the, the main concern I had when I bought this MacBook Air. Is I didn't really want to pay. I think it was like three hundred dollars extra for um, more storage because it's a it's a flash flash drive. Is it like a, it's built in? Um, what, what do you, I don't even know what they call it. The, the SD drives and. It's great because it's fast, it's instant on. Uh, so I'll never want to go back to normal hard drive again. And it's completely silent, you know, which is amazing to me. Uh, it also doesn't use, I don't think it uses as much electricity. So you get 12 hours battery life. So you got all this great stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the only downside to it is you have, you know, very limited capacity for, for the price. And so I, I figured, you know what? I probably don't need, you know, half the stuff on my on my computer. And I have an external hard drive, which... I don't remember how big it is. It's it's. I think it's only it's 400 gigs. Um, and I figured, you know what? If I really need to, I can put all my movies on there, and it, it's been fine. I mean, like I I really have realized that if you'll you'll unless you're video editing like you are, for most people, you don't need that much crap. And it's almost like it's almost the same thing as traveling or owning stuff. You know, hold, it just holds you down. You know, it, um, most stuff now you can just like photos. You can you can put on the web, documents, Google Drive. Um, and everything else, just keep your life simple, man. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh, but for videos, man, I can't imagine how hard that would be to pass videos back and forth, um, especially in, in raw format, to back to the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're doing heavy-duty heavy duty, heavy duty editing or projects that require a lot, a lot of shooting, um, you know, you might have a small problem. But it's not a, it's not a you know, a make or break for stuff that I'm doing, but, but it's, yeah, I mean, you can, you can definitely be mobile. I mean, I work from almost a different spot every day, depending on, depending on what I'm doing. So when you, so you, you both shoot the video and you edit it. Is, is that pretty common um, for, for videography guys out there? Uh, yeah, I would say for the, for the, the new media, the new wave of videographers now it's kind of it's it's pretty standard for everybody to do everything you know for for someone to be able to to be a a one-man band um you know i i shoot i basically you know and especially now you know you can shoot gopro underwater i shoot with dslrs or or other cameras depending on the project you know on land and then you can shoot with a with a helicopter in the air (laughs) so i mean you can kind of cover everything and you can do it all on your own and you can you know i have all of that equipment here um like literally here in this room here in this room that i you know that i carried on a plane with me so i mean you can literally shoot everything you would need you know for the most part stuff that i would need um and you can carry it with you and travel anywhere you need to with it i think it's pretty cool that you have a helicopter here yeah, I, it's it's the the DJI Phantom uh, helicopter. It's kind of you know it's it's basically spread aerial video to the masses, and so I've been playing with with aerial video for a couple of years. And I, I had a I had one that sent me to the hospital and gave me eighty stitches in my arm. Wow! A, a, about a year and yes, a half I'm ago. I'm staring at that right now. But I uh, <laughs> but I I decided to basically let that one go and well I, I crashed it in the Gobi Desert uh, last summer and so I didn't really have a choice but that one no longer exists I, I obliterated it and so I, I went with the Phantom just because it's it's easier and and you can take it you know you, it's easier to travel with I, I couldn't bring the uh, the, the large one here and so it's more of a matter of function rather than you know you suck you you let go of a little bit of video quality to have convenience mm-hmm. and, and still a really nice platform to- and at the end of the day like i mean video quality now is, is so good for across almost everything now i mean compared to let's say 10 years ago to have even gopro quality was really hard sure and now i mean like it's in the hands of everybody which is crazy sure um well i've been making videos here i, I just started making videos here on my on my iphone um, because you know you don't have complete creative freedom by doing that, but I found that it's it's uh, you know you can shoot and edit with your iPhone and it's it's good enough quality to kind of give an impression. So all these places that I'm traveling, sometimes it doesn't make sense for me to shoot a a full out video, or sometimes I just don't want to or don't have the time, um, and I'd rather experience it than than actually do work. So I've been shooting <laughs> videos on my on my iPhone and and uh and just posting them online that are kind of like you know short impressionistic you know here's what happened or or here's where i visited you know interesting place that i visited that i just wanted to capture real quickly well i was just watching your video of you view the gobi desert i'm i'm assuming that's africa but i really have no idea what that is the gobi desert is mongolia okay 
Oh, is it? Okay. It yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So Mongolia, I mean, it's, I, I just listened to uh, The Wrath of the Khans. Uh, it's a podcast episode by a guy named Dan Carlin, Hardcore History. Five parts, and each part is two hours long, and it is the best uh, history podcast I've ever heard, and the best story of Genghis Khan I've ever heard. Hmm. And in, in it, he describes how vast the steppes are in Mongolia. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to see that firsthand. Yeah, yeah, we did. I, um, I, I'm not a, I'm not a expert on the history of the of the country or uh, or anything like that. But we did get to experience, um, you know, the entire, almost the entire country. Um, I I work with a an ultra runner named Ray Zahab from Canada, and he ran across the, um, he ran across um, the Sahara Desert. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2006 and they they made a documentary about him and and so he he does these ultra marathons all around the world and so his his latest was in the gobi and he ran clear across the gobi desert uh edge to edge basically which was just over 2000 kilometers and it took him 35 days running approximately 60 kilometers a day that's or, insane yeah man. 60 kilometers a day that's insane like running i mean imagine running six 10ks every day yeah Oh, I mean, how many how many kilometers are in a in a marathon? Um, I don't know the exact number, but he was running about a marathon and a half per day, so about forty miles a day, thirty to forty miles. A so day. he was running more than a marathon every day, and he was doing it in a desert. Yeah. How did how did the water situation work out for that? Uh, well, we had a crew. It was a supported expedition, so we had a uh, there was a there was a food truck, and then we had three or four, depending on the time SUVs that would that would uh, bring all of our stuff with us but we did actually have I mean it's you know the, the Gobi Desert is it's being developed right now um, and there's a lot of mining and, and oil out there so there's there's more people in the Gobi Desert and there's more towns than there used to be but it really is I mean you can go you know 300k without seeing anybody and without seeing a town and so we would have to map our course by where we could get water and where we could get gas for the for the vehicles or else we would have gotten well at standing. least we had the uh the taco trucks following you <laughs> yeah that would have been nice <laughs> would have been, I, i'm sure once you're out there you're like man i would i wouldn't give it for a pizza truck right now that would have been Just amazing what, what was the, what did you eat ashley out there then we ate a lot of goat mm-hmm. um a lot of goat a lot of meat a lot of uh french fries rice a lot of potatoes I mean, just kind of, uh, we had, it was, it was pretty basic. It was good. You know, a lot of the food was good. We had some Mongolian barbecue. It was the, uh, it was their national festival. And so while we were out there, so we got to experience, uh, the national festival and and the horse races and and all of their traditional games that date back to, you know, Genghis Khan times. I'm sure the the Mongolian barbecue is much different from the stuff you get in the mall at the the great, was it the Genghis walk? It is. It is quite different. It's uh, it's a little bit more raw, natural. Yeah, a lot, so more, you don't, a lot, a lot, a lot yeah. more fat on the meat. So you don't walk around try to pack as many, uh, as much like frozen slices of meat on top of these noodles and and vegetables and have <laughs> some yeah, guy no. posing on the Mongolian. Nope. With this giant, uh, this giant chopsticks. <laughs> you know, start with. I, I I did not see a single pair of chopsticks. Uh, <laughs> I did not see any Mongolians using chopsticks to eat their their massive chunks of meat. I wonder how that like that restaurant came about because that's everywhere in the U.S. I don't know. I don't and know. everyone just assumes Mongolian barbecue is that, and it's not. I mean, it has nothing to do with that. Maybe you know the lamb. I mean, I guess they eat lamb, but they don't even eat that many vegetables. Do, do they even eat noodles? Um, I really don't know if noodles are a. Uh, if that's a staple of their diet, really, it was just a lot of meat and potatoes. Yeah, well, you know that sounds good. Yeah. Not a ton of vegetables for sure, because they because the especially where we were, you know, I, I had a unique experience because we were with the because we were in the desert and, and we yeah. crossed the entire desert, and so there there wasn't a, a lot out there. You know, cuisine is not their is not their specialty in the desert because what they have, you know, they're herders, and so they 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 basically eat the animals that they're herding, and then and there's not a lot of water, so they can't grow a ton of vegetables, mm. and so. They don't really have that many options. It's a lot of dairy and a lot of meat. That's everywhere you go. It was horse milk. I had we um, we went through the process of making horse milk vodka, basically, or horse milk moonshine. Wow, yeah. Um, which which is it's it actually it sounds a little bit disgusting. Disgusting. And the horse milk <laughs> itself, just the horse milk, not fermented, was a little bit disgusting. Yeah, I, I thought that. some people like it. I think it's an acquired taste. But um, but that's what they eat. they eat a lot of cheese, goat cheese, horse milk. 
um, you know, and they, and they they make like an unlimited number of products out of the milk of, of the horse. Yeah, I didn't even know horses gave milk. I, I mean, I assume they do because they're mammals, but I never yeah. heard of anyone eating horse milk. They do uh, until I actually recently watched uh, an episode of what was it called? Um, Fresh out the boat with Eddie Huang. Yeah, he's like the Asian Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was just in the Gobi. Yeah, and he, I did, oh, so that's the same place. Mm-hmm. So, so he yeah, he was in Mongolia and he was exploring the the food there and. It, it didn't look that appetizing to me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it was hit or miss. Sometimes I liked it, sometimes I didn't. But I definitely like lamb, and I, I want to eat more of lamb. Like, we just don't eat that much lamb in the U.S. for, for whatever reason. Not as much of it to go around, yeah. I guess. And ironically, in Canada, it's when I was in, I was in Toronto, and you get tons of lamb from New Zealand uh, in, in the supermarkets, and it's really cheap. And I have no idea why, because it's, it's even further. But... Uh, the what I do like about that area is Kazakhstan sounds to me like really interesting, and it's not just because I watched Borat <laughs> and I want to see that <laughs> firsthand. <clears throat> My first memory of anyone from Kazakhstan was I was in New York and I met these two girls, <clears throat> one who looked clearly Asian and one looked Russian, and they were both from Kazakhstan. I mean, their personalities, I mean, because you know, this from the same culture was spot on. I mean, they could have been sisters. and. You know, I was talking to them and they were saying, yeah, like it, it's in Kazakhstan, it's just like being blonde or brunette. Like it's it's the exact same culture. So it doesn't matter if one person looks completely Caucasian and another looks completely Asian. Um, everyone just views them as the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really don't know. Uh, I really don't know too much about Kazakhstan, to be honest with you. I'm uh, I'm going to to shoot a, a video for a, uh, a friend's company that exports felt products from uh-huh. Kyrgyzstan. And so, you know, I, um, I'll, I'm sure I'll get a, a crash course once I, once I make it over there. But I, I do know that it's, it's one of the, you know, fastest growing economies in the world, as is Mongolia. Um, and so there's, a, there's a ton, there's a ton going on right now in, in that region, just because of the natural resources. And so the, uh, the cities, you know, Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia and um, Astana in Kazakhstan. From what I hear, I'm, I'm not an expert, but that you know, they're, they're these cities that are growing like like Dubai style cities where they just kind of pop up in the middle of nowhere and they have tons of money, and so they're they're becoming these massive um, kind of world class cities. That's so crazy. So for anyone that complains that like Bangkok is getting too busy or you know uh, there's no unexplored places in the world, there are a ton of unexplored places and. <laughs> I used to be one of those people who, you know, who wanted to go and say, you know, I want to go somewhere notorious and, you know, I want to see, you know, see it for the way it is. Uh, and that's probably going to be, you know, these places like Mongolia and Kazakhstan. So if you want to be the first, be a pioneer, go to those places and explore. For me, I like kind of waiting to that sweet, that sweet spot where there's enough infrastructure um, where it makes it really easy to travel, and there's other I can meet some other travelers as well, but not so crazy where you know the locals are sick of the travelers. Like, and that's kind of why I don't like Phuket. Um, if you go to Phuket and you just stay at a resort, it's beautiful. You know, beautiful beach. Um, you know, great weather, and you have access to some nice islands. Um, but you know, the actual main part of a of Phuket, which uh, is called Patong. It's like this crazy, disgusting beach uh, that the locals, you know, basically are just, they're just trying to rip everyone off. And it's, it's half, half everyone's fault because, you know, the tourists for so many years have been acting like these drunk idiots uh, <laughs> running around where they were just asking to get ripped off, especially because they're being rude. And the locals are like, well, you know, I'm just going to, you know, basically gouge these people for as much as we can. Um, what I really like about places like Chiang Mai that's, at that perfect point right now uh, is there's in plenty of infrastructure uh, so you can kind of do whatever you want. It's really easy to travel around and, but locals are still super friendly because they're not sick of the tourists yet. And I can imagine places like Kazakhstan where it'd be super hard to get around, especially if you don't know anyone. Um, but the locals would be extremely friendly because they're excited to see a, you know, a tourist in your face. That could be, that could be, I really don't know. I mean, I know it's, it's very, you know, it's, I mean, they're massive, massive countries. Mm-hmm. So anytime you have that, that massive of a, a swath of land, you know, the, the cities are going to be somewhat sparse, but I really don't know. Uh, 
you know how much tourism is uh, is going into places like Ulaanbaatar, <laughs> Astana. I think Astana in Kazakhstan might be a little bit more. They, I think they have a little bit more going on. It might be a little bit more um, tourist friendly, but I. You know, I I really don't know how well, how much tourism is there. It's gonna be fun once you go there for you no know, exploration. I mean, this is kind of a cool thing about having jobs. You know, like a job like yours, where you're you're going there for work, um, but you also get to see a whole new country that you never would have thought about before. I mean, yeah, like yeah. where are some places that you've been for work that you probably never would have went, you know, on your own. Most of them, to be honest. I mean, a, a lot of the places that I end up going are, you know, I don't even know where they are until, <laughs> until you know, someone says, hey, we're going here. So, you know, it was the same with, with the Gobi. So um, I've been to the salt pl- salt flats in Bolivia, the Solar de Uyuni, in which I, you know, I had maybe heard of it, seen pictures, videos, things that have been shot there, but I didn't really know too much about it. And, um, I want to go there. Yeah, it's incredible. I, yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's one of the most incredible places. It's like being on the moon, and it's it's the the largest salt flats um, on the planet, and and it's just never ending. You know, just flat, just flat white Earth for as, as far as you can see. So I've seen some photos of it where you can see the reflection of the sky. It does that have to be at like a certain point of the sun or like a certain time of year? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I the the salt flats, from what I understand, it's a it's basically a a huge lake that the salt has risen to the top and so now it's a it's a hard surface and so it still gets it still gets wet so when they're when they're basically scraping up the salt it um you know there can be areas that are flooded and so you get these really flat you know blue looking reflections because the water is is just on top of a white surface and so you get these really amazing reflections and amazing scenes that you couldn't get anywhere else that in is, the world that is awesome man uh, bolivia is actually one on uh, one of the places i want to go it's, it's on my list um which is strange because it's it's kind of a, a country that people don't really think about uh, mm. but from what i've heard of i mean basically i so you meet a lot of travelers when, when you're when you're out out of your country and there's always a couple places that everybody mentions how great it was and when i was in central america i kept asking people about costa rica or belize you know, and these places that were more famous for being, you know, being credible. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, yeah, they're okay. You know, a little bit overpriced, a little bit this, a little bit that. And every single person said, but Guatemala was amazing. You have to go there. Mm-hmm. And I never even considered going to Guatemala. I don't even know if I knew anything about it before I was there. And I happened to be scuba diving in, in Honduras. There's a little island off of there. Uh, this set of islands called Rotan and Utila. And the diving wasn't that good. And... You know, I didn't really like the island that much, and I was thinking, okay, you know, what, maybe I'll I'll check out a you know a neighboring country since I'm already here. And Guatemala ended up being incredible. Uh, I mean, literally the whole country. I didn't go to the capital because uh, at the time it might still be is known as the one of the murder capitals of the world. <laughs> but it's crazy that aside from that that main capital, the rest of it was so safe. I was in a place called Antigua. Which is their their old capital, and it reminds me a lot of Chiang Mai because it was it was gated, so it has like these old gates, um, just like Chiang Mai's in this you know it has a moat and these old gates, and the city's a square, and in the very center of it, which I wish Chiang Mai had because that that would make it really cool, is they had a park, almost like Central Park, mm-hmm. uh, but a small version of it, like a really like a really tiny you know park, mm-hmm. but it had like um, all these coffee you know coffee shops, cafes around it. Um, all these old ruins, like these old, I don't know if they're like old churches or something mm-hmm. that were just kind of dilapidated, but it just everywhere. It was, it was beautiful and all cobblestone roads. There were horses being you know, dragged around and I never would have even considered going there or even heard, you know, heard yeah. of it um, if it wasn't for, you know, meeting other travelers that, you know, that say it. So, you know, one big piece of advice to people out there is the places that you've heard of all over TV, you know, all over, you know, magazines aren't necessarily going to be the ones that are going to be amazing because those are the places that, you know, were probably amazing 10 or 20 years ago. And now, you know, they've kind of been, they're kind of past their peak as far as um, so many people go there all the time that you don't even really get to see anything because it's just all you see is a sea of people. While these kind of new up and coming places, um, you know, you can go and there'll be just enough infrastructure you can get around. Um, and it's, you know, the locals will still be super friendly and, you know, really just trust that your fellow travelers. So on that point, where are some places that besides Bolivia that you've seen that have been really beautiful that, you know, other people may not have 
have on the top of their list? Um, I don't know if. Uh, well, most recently I was in um, I was in Peru and we were in uh, Cusco, kind of as our, our home base. And Cusco, okay. I, I knew nothing about it, but it was the it was basically the the capital of South America. I mean, that was where everything happened in South America historically. You know, fifteen hundreds and and before that was kind of the the central city and. Um, and so it's a really old city, all cobblestone streets. Um, you know, the a lot of Spanish influences in the in the old churches, old massive churches, and it's kind of set up in that same way where it's got a central square, and then it has it, the whole city. Though is basically just it's just a series of connected parks and gathering places where people hang out. And the and the landscape, it's right in the mountains, and so the landscape is really amazing. It's one of the most beautiful cities I've ever been to. It's um. The people are friendly. There's tons and tons of food. There's amazing food. Peruvian food's incredible. Oh, have you had one of my favorite dishes? Was uh, lomo saltito? Is that the the llama? No, it's a. Uh, it's they have some kind of steak. Okay, so from from what I remember, I haven't had it in a long time because it's not really paleo. Lomo? No, no, no. It's llama. I'm pretty no, sure it's llama. I think lomo just means meat. Oh, okay. And then saltado okay. is the, the actual dish. Okay, okay. Um, and it's basically fried. Like it's like strips of steak. Uh, and it's it's almost like the, the version of fried rice. Mm-hmm. But what's really good is they have their Spanish rice, and they they saute it with uh, tomatoes and French fries, like uh, parsley and the steak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's it doesn't sound that appetizing, but it is so good. Like it, I think it's the sauce they use on it, and it's the combination of. Um, the rice that soaks up all the flavor, the the parsley, which you normally would never have, you know, with, with rice, and then the the crispy French fries that they randomly put in. So you have this crunch, you have the potatoes, um, and I I loved it. Um, I've also had something else from Peru that I really like too. What what are some other dishes you like there? I mean, they're they're you know their specialty that they try, and I don't know, I don't even know if this is what the uh, what the locals <clears throat> eat, but what you can find everywhere, you know, is, is the llama dish. It's basically just llamas and. <laughs> And it, you know it's either fried or grilled, and then it's it comes with uh, you know vegetables and and French fries. They actually have they they use a ton of French fries in a lot of their meals as like <laughs> as like the right? base. Yeah, French fries, onions, meat, you know, and just good spices. I mean, it's it's pretty it's basic it's basic food. You know, it's it's not really anything that's that's very complicated, um, but it's but it's really good. And a lot of eggs. You know, they put nice. eggs in like every every one of the dishes. So that's a business idea for anyone that wants to open a restaurant. You can make a llama-only yes. restaurant. Llama meat. La- yeah. And Alpaca. You can call it Llama Del Rey. <laughs> Everything on the menu is going to be llama. All right. And you're just going to play, you know, Llama Del Rey music in the background all the time. Yes. I'll repeat. That would be the weirdest restaurant I've ever been I'll to. I'll go to it. <laughs> Peruvian, Peruvian-themed um, llama photos everywhere. <laughs> But it'd be like uh, llamas dressed in like funny hats and sunglasses. Everybody gets a llama fur jacket on their way in. Nice. I like that. Keep classy. It classy. Yeah. I wouldn't mind having a llama fur rug right now under my freezing feet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So <laughs> if someone wanted to get into real business, <laughs> like they want, let's say someone is aspiring videographer. What would you recommend uh, to someone just starting out? If they, you know, they have an interest in it, maybe they've made some videos on their, um, on iMovie, um, and they've been shooting it on like a like a little handheld camera. What would you recommend? Like, how would the easiest way for someone to start getting work be? Yeah, that's no, that's always a good question, and I I have a very specific answer. My my first piece of advice is. Depending on what you're doing, if you if you want to go work in Hollywood and be a cinematographer for Martin Scorsese, then then maybe go to school, go to UCLA, and and rise up the ranks and, and try to go that way. But if you but if you're but there's so much work otherwise, other than just Hollywood or what you think you're working on on larger movies. If you want to do documentary stuff or you're doing corporate stuff or branded infotainment type of stuff or educational things, it's just. It's just a matter of going out there and and doing it, especially because we have we have the tools. Everybody knows that we have the tools now. Mm-hmm. You can go out and get a DSLR and minimal gear for you know two thousand dollars or less, and you can shoot stuff that's just as good as anybody else. As long as you're as long as you have good taste and you're paying attention to what's out there and you're creative, you can you have the tools to make anything you want. So my my first bit of advice would be just to go do it. Go out and make something. Don't wait for someone to tell you how to do it look online, figure it out, and then just go out and make stuff. And 
and make things that are really good. And then also, you know, no one's going to come looking for you just because you have good stuff online. Um, and so, you know, what I've done is I worked at a company for a long time and so I didn't really have to worry about getting work and, and all those things. And, um, and after I left there a couple of years ago, I basically just set out to, you know, my main goal was not to sell two videos a month to someone that I didn't know. My main goal is just to work with people that I wanted to work with. Mm -hmm. And that's turned out to be, you know, the, the greatest sales that I could have asked for. I just started working with people that I wanted to, doing stuff that I was interested in, and then the work just kind of came, you know, opportunities just kind of popped up, and then one opportunity always leads to the next, so. When you say you worked with people you wanted to work with, were these friends already, or did you did not know them yet? Were they just like, like were they people that you <clears throat> you saw, and you're like, one day I want to work for this guy, so let um, me start out somehow? A little bit of both, <clears throat> you know, I, I did... A little bit of both. It was, you know, a lot of my friends now are people that I that I wanted to work with in the past, and so okay. I started working with them, and now they've become friends, and so we'll work together a lot. And but then, how'd you get that first gig with them? Um, sometimes volunteering, sometimes sometimes work. I guess the yeah the the first gig is always the question. I guess the most common way is that I would just I would contact somebody and say I I like what you do. I I, I want to work with you. Okay. Um, that that's um, one of my good friends and favorite favorite uh, group to work with in, in Indianapolis is a group called Big Car Arts Collective and and um I'd kind of um known some of the people involved but I basically just uh I did a couple of videos for them early on and I started volunteering at their space mm -hmm. they had a community garden and all these things that and I was interested in that and so I just started hanging out and being around and then all of a sudden it kind of just turned into a a working relationship as well and so it was a little bit of both, you know, we were started off as, as work and life and volunteering and it just kind of turned into being able to actually do work and make a, a living at it. I think that's a really cool like way of, of getting into it. I mean, there's so many people who think the traditional route is, you know, going to school, uh, graduating and applying for jobs at these big companies and putting your resume through, you know, with thousand other people. I would never do that. I would like I don't even have a resume. And if I if I wanted to to, to work, let's say I wanted to freelance for something, uh, I wanted to write for someone, or wanted to do something, I would just you know network. I would and not network in a in a way where you know you try and get something from people. I would just network as in let me get to know people, hang out, figure out what they're working on, and see if there's anything I can do to help out. Even if I'm helping out for free uh, in the beginning. You know, just to build up um, some experience, build up my portfolio. Uh, you know, I think sh shooting for content is—is is that a term that you guys use, or is that just for porn? <laughs> <laughs> that might just be for porn. Okay, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's people that do stuff like that where you know, I know, like at least with like models and stuff. Like, if you want to be a photographer, there's a lot of people in the beginning that would just shoot and help each other out and say, oh, you know, you you know, you want to be an actor. I want to be a video, you know, videographer. Let's do something together, and let's just make a cool video, uh, just because we want to do it, even though no one's buying it right now. Right. And it's great for your portfolio. It's great for experience, but also if you include uh, the people that you want to eventually work with, anyways, into these little projects, especially these nonprofit projects. Um, it, yeah, it's you know, if you and you do a good job, and you and you basically make a good connection with them and you become friends, the next time a paid gig comes up, they'll always think of you first. Right, right. And I think you know, and I think for business, I mean, I really, really genuinely believe that the best jobs are never posted anywhere. Because, you know, mm. as a as a business owner, the very first thing I did when I wanted to hire an employee was I asked all my friends and I asked on Facebook, hey, does anyone know of anyone that wants to do this job that has these skills? And then after that, I'll actually go on Odesk or Freelancer and, you know, and then have to go through the, the, the process because I don't want to do that. Yeah. And often you don't, you know, you can be, you don't even need to be the best. You don't have to have the highest grades. You don't have to graduate the honors. Uh, and you'll still get the job because people like you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly, that's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, just don't, don't be, don't be a jerk. I mean, really, that's like. The best business advice that I can give, and, and just the ways to get work is is just be nice and and do what you want to do and do what you love and do something that you're passionate about. I mean, really, if if you do those two things, hopefully you'll be able to make you know with a little bit of strategy, you'll be able to make a living at it. I really think so. I mean, like 
I, you know, I've been hanging out with you for the past couple of weeks and you're just a cool guy. And I would hire you for any video work I had. Even before watching any of your videos, I just assumed you were good. <laughs> and, you know, and now that I've actually watched your videos, I'm like, oh, okay, you actually are really good. <laughs> but I haven't, you know, went out and reviewed, you know, a hundred other applicants for anything. But I would pick you anyways, just because I know you know what you're doing, you're passionate about it, uh, and you're a good person. And I'd rather have that than a guy who gives me his resume and says, oh, I graduated top of my class. Um, I've won, you know, yeah. this award. I've, you know, yeah. you know, I'm a creative genius. I'm like, yeah. I don't care. I've, 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 when I've gone through the hiring process, you know, it, at the company that I, I used to work for, when we would interview people that were applying for jobs, it was never, I, I never even looked at their resume. The, the first thing I would look at was... Uh, you know, the first thing I would look at was basically their style. So yeah. if I would look at their videos online, you know, if they weren't terrible, if they were terrible, I probably wouldn't look any further. But, but if they were, you know, if they were okay or they were kind of, they had something cool going on, you, you would narrow it down like that. But then really the people that we would hire were just the people that we liked. A lot of times it wasn't the person that had the, the greatest, you know, product out there, but it was the person that we thought was cool that we would like to work with and be friends with. It and that's like that for everything in the world. Every single business in the world is like that. And it's crazy that people just keep, tr you know, like people in China are trying to get the highest marks and the highest grades no matter what. And they're not spending any time developing their personalities, their social mm -hmm. skills. And it's like, it's creating, you know, this, you know, and it's insane. It's like only the top one percent of the highest grades, you know, gets into a certain school, and then they get hired as a certain soulless company. I don't like. I think the ninety-nine other percent of the world operates <clears throat> like we do. You know, you you want to hire your friends. Yeah. You know, well, and, there, and there could be. I mean, there could be. <laughs> You know, other jobs, maybe maybe in, in different fields like like science, where you do want the smartest guy, maybe that has no personality in the <laughs> <Yeah>. room. <laughs> but if you're if you're wanting to live, if you're probably listening to this, you probably live a certain lifestyle where yeah. you're not working in that industry, maybe. And so and so, the personality might be a little bit. And I definitely agree. You have important. to you have to know what you're doing. You have to be passionate about it. Um, so for you know videography, you have to have a at least one good demo video. I mean, that's a must. I mean, if somebody had a cool personality, but does, you know, has either bad videos or no yeah. videos at all, you wouldn't hire him. Yeah, you can't have, you have nothing. You, you still have to have <laughs> skills. There's no replacing, there's no replacing skills and good taste and, and talent and passion. But even, but even, you know, I wasn't, um, I never, uh, you know, there are some people that I'm almost intimidated by because they, you know, really young videographers or people that do similar things because their stuff is so good right off the bat, like right when they start, you know, and my stuff wasn't the best right off the bat, but I just kind of, I really love doing it and I worked really hard at it and I, and I feel like I've, I've improved a ton and I, you know, I'm, I'm in a place where I know where I'm very confident and I know that I can do good work. Um, but you know, so, so even if you're not doing, you know, even if you're not the best right off the bat, if you if you stay focused and if if you like doing it, you're you know you'll become the best. You'll become, you know, the best that you can be, or you'll get up to where you want to be, to where you can be confident. That's a lot of it too, is just being confident and knowing that you can do the work. If you're if you're trying to sell something that you don't think that you can even do, then that's a problem as well. Makes sense. <clears throat> so for me personally, the way I got into video editing was I hired a guy to edit a video years ago for me and I was sitting next to him um, watching him do it and that way I can kind of tell him what I wanted. And while he was doing it, I was looking at it, I was like I was like, I'm pretty sure I can just do that myself. Mm. And it something just really clicked in my mind because I was watching him, you know, exactly what he was doing. And it's a lot of it's kind of a, you know, like the same actual steps, you know, like, okay, let's, let's edit a little bit here. Let's put a transition here. Let's put a title here. Let's do all this. And it used to be so much harder. I remember just importing a video and having, waiting for it to render it used to take, it used to take all night. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, with like digital formats, it, it's, it's pretty much instant for at least, you know, normal, like normal sized files, but even like HD videos, it's pretty much instant now. Um, and every single computer comes with a free video editing program, not the best. <laughs> um, but you know, if you're just getting started, never done any video editing and you're kind of just exploring it as something that you want to do for fun, um, or even maybe a potential career. If you have a Mac, you have iMovie. And if you have a PC or, or a Windows machine, you have Windows uh, Movie Maker. And both, I'm sure Zach's going to say, you know, is not, not the best and definitely not professional grade. Um, but as 
you know, a new user, they are so much better than they were five years ago. Like five years ago, Windows Movie Maker was unusable. It was like literally the biggest <laughs> POS in the world. Uh, and now, on at least after Windows Seven, it's it's actually pretty good. It, you know, it's it, it's not gonna you know you're not gonna be able to make a Hollywood movie on there, but it's you you can make some pretty cool stuff with it. Mm-hmm. And almost every camera out there that films in HD makes decent like decent video now. Yeah. Um, but what yeah, I, and, yeah. and and that's yeah that's another I guess a, a piece of advice that I would give is is that uh, don't don't uh, freak out about the gear you know don't uh, I, I I try not to I try to stay up on on what's out there and it's important but I I don't geek out too much on on the all the technical aspects of every new camera and what's the newest thing and that because that's not it, that's not what makes your work great. And it's not what's going to get you a job because you have this camera versus that camera. It's, it's, you know, it's the creativity you put in it. And I know that's preached and, you know, whatever it is, but, but especially now, because there's so much going on with gear and technology and in, in, in the production world, people, people can really focus on that. And, um, and that can almost be a hindrance or a distraction from just going out and doing good work. Well, if somebody likes you and they want to hire you and you don't have the specific gear for that project, I'm sure they'll just let you, they have a budget to let you rent it anyways. You rent it or you buy it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's, or often, that's always been my philosophy. I've, yeah. I've, I've gotten jobs where I didn't have something, but I just, I knew that I, I could have it if I needed it. Yeah. And, and so I'd go out and get it if I needed it for, for something I wanted to do. Bam. I like that. Yeah. And, uh, it's cool that those, uh, you know, handheld DSLRs now make great video. I've, I've seen a couple of commercials that were shot just using those cameras mm-hmm. and they're good. Yeah. Yeah. The Canon, Canon, uh, I know they, they shot, I think for their T4i, um, they actually shot the commercial for that camera on that camera. Yeah. Which and is cool. So, you know, to, to kind of prove a point. Why, why don't those DSLRs, uh, record over 15 minutes at a time? Uh, some of them do. They're changing. I, I really don't know technically why they don't. I mean, there's a lot of limitations with them just because it's a new technology. Um, and I think a lot of it's because of overheating because they're not okay. necessarily built to be video cameras. They, they, um, you know, they kind of fit that into something that was otherwise just for uh, taking photos. That makes and sense. so because they fit it in, there's these little weird things that might not work well. You know, you get aliasing weird pattern problems because of the shutter and and it records shorter clips but they're you know they're fixing that and they're moving on you know there's a camera now it's a a c100 that's it's a five thousand dollar camera and it's just a a video camera and it's not that much bigger than a dslr but it's dslrs will eventually be become you know cameras basically now no matter what it is whether it's a dslr or a full production camera professional production camera or you know a, a, an iPhone, like they're all just kind of blending together. Yeah, every camera's gonna get cool. smaller and better, and you know it's it, they're all just kind of in in two years. You know you're gonna be able to have a. I, I mean, I think in two years your iPhone is gonna be able to shoot professional quality video to where you know I could actually shoot a video for a client on something. Maybe not the iPhone, but maybe something <laughs> like the iPhone, yeah. or just as big as the iPhone, mm-hmm. some, something just as simple as the iPhone. That, like for me, I have a, a Canon S95. It's just a handheld point shoot uh, camera. Um, takes good photos. Uh, definitely not as good as a um, a DSLR, uh, but you know, pretty good photos. And the the video HD video. The only two things I used to think it was like, why would I ever need a professional video camera? And what I've realized is that the two things it's missing. Uh, one is stabilizing the image mm-hmm. while while I'm shooting and second is having um, external mic capabilities. Yeah. But aside from those two things, it is incredible. I mean, uh what's like some of the, the my favorite videos that I've ever shot really just for fun for myself were underwater videos when I used to scuba dive a lot. Mm-hmm. And they were so all my videos that I've shot underwater were um filmed just using these point and shoot, you know, uh Canon cameras that were in a underwater housing and I would white balance it every every time I would go up and down a few meters because uh, the, the lighting is so difficult to do underwater when you're scuba diving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because I had the technique down for for white balancing and I was I had a lot of dive experience. I had you know over 700 dives, so I was really stable underwater. So there was no there's no stability issues. Um, 
and I would, you know, I would do little tricks. Like I would make, I would make sure to, you know, see which way the sun's actually facing before I, bef you know, before I record. Um, and I would do these little tiny things and the videos came out really well. Um, compared to people with these really expensive cameras that had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. So definitely if you're just getting started, don't go out and buy the most expensive gear. Yeah, um, definitely not. Just get a, get a DSLR, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, DSLR <laughs> or even before that, don't even wait to get a DSLR. Just shoot something on your iPhone. There you go. Look up, look up iPhone films online and you can find amazing, beautiful films shot on an iPhone 4. You know, okay. if you have a brand new iPhone 5, S or whatever the newest iPhone is, you can shoot slow motion video. You can shoot. I mean, you can shoot amazing stuff. Go up, start making iPhone videos, and then and then and then go from there. Actually, that might be that might be your your, your training course. You know, like you you, you could earn your DSLR by going out and shooting uh, an iPhone video. I like that. All right. Well, thank you so much for being uh, on this episode. Um, it, it's been fun just kind of chit chatting about cool places to go. Um, so good luck to you in uh, Kazakhstan and then sure. in the Arctic. Um, make Thank sure you, you wear some some warm clothes. Um, how did you? I will be fully suited up. Yeah. <laughs> so Canada Goose, Canada Goose is the uh, is a, a sponsor for uh, Ray Zahab, the runner, the okay. ultra runner, and so they're uh, they're gearing us up for for the Arctic. So we'll be we'll be outfitted with with some of the best gear in the world from head to toe. That is dope. And you got to keep it afterwards. I, I I think so. I hope so. Well, if, if anyone out in Canada, I'm going to be wearing it for about two weeks. I don't think they're going to want it back. <laughs> but that, that's cool. That's another little fringe benefit. So you get to travel, you get you get free cool clothing, and you get all these nice experiences. Yeah. Uh, so for anyone out there listening that is uh, interested in checking out your videos, where can they go? ZacharyShields.tv. Okay. And this is episode 20. Uh, so what you can do is you can go to travellikeabosspodcast.com, click on show notes, episode 20, and I'll have links uh, not only to Zach's page, uh, but also I'll put up my two favorite videos um, that that he shot. Uh, I'm just going to embed it right in that in that page so you can watch it. One of them is the one in the Gobi Desert, mm -hmm. and the other is a really cool video that is shot with, you know, around, it, it's basically everywhere that you've traveled with your family. Uh, well, just, uh, just Chiang Mai with my family. I, I finished shooting in Chiang Mai and I actually, I just kind of used my, my family trip as <laughs> yeah. a, as a model for part of the video. But, um, other footage has just come from, you know, I just kind of took one clip here and there from different places around the world that I've traveled over the past four or five years, probably. So really beautiful video. I'll put that up as well. And, uh, thanks. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Cool. It was fun. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode and thank you guys so much for all the five-star iTunes reviews you guys have been putting up. Uh, make sure you share this with your friends and I'll see you guys next week. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. <laughs>